Hey guys, happy Monday. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka Podcast. I'm your host, Christina. I'm literally putting makeup on right now as I head out the door to work. Mondays are always really busy for me because I have work in the morning and then I have my outpatient program at night. That has been going pretty well. Um, well, I say that. I have been making a lot of progress, yes, but I've also been dealing with a lot of negative emotions as a result of getting help. I think subconsciously I am realizing that I'm losing all the coping mechanisms I've ever known and so I'm panicking and I don't know how to deal with all the shit that goes through my head on a daily basis. Like my first impulse is to numb myself with, you know, either food or alcohol or what have you. And so without that, I'm trying to learn all over again how to cope with these things. And it's not fun. It's not fun. I don't like it. (laughs) But I'm making baby steps. Um, I did yoga for the first time in like a year yesterday. And I remembered why it was once so good for me. Uh, I'm really sore today, but whatever. I'll, I'll live. This episode you're about to listen to features a girl that I met on a homeschool blogging site like 11 years ago. We both grew up in really similar conservative backgrounds and both of us have really branched out from our origins in ways that we'll talk about. But she talks a lot about leaving the belief system you grew up with and forming your own identity and embracing who you really are. She's also one of the most creative people I know, and she talks about creativity and mental health and how the two go hand in hand sometimes. Really excited for you to hear our conversation. Speaking of creativity and coping mechanisms, I want to give a shout out this week to my friend Inez, uh, one of my oldest friends. Uh, We also met online, like, forever ago. And um, she had known I was struggling lately. And the other day, I got a package in the mail from her, uh, which is no small feat because she lives in Norway. (laughs) And it was a disposable black and white film camera. And uh, she had written me a letter with a challenge that whenever I feel a really strong emotion or feeling, rather than turn to an unhealthy coping mechanism or wallow in those feelings, the challenge is to take a picture in the moment, a raw, honest snapshot of how I'm feeling. And it was one of the most touching things anyone's done for me recently, and I just love the idea. So I've been slowly going through the role of film When I'm done with it, I'll probably post them on a Tumblr or something, or I'll definitely let you guys know what I end up doing with them, but I thought that was really cool, and it's a good idea for anyone who is artistically inclined or has been artistically inclined in the past, but maybe who no longer pursues those things because of depression or whatnot, to just try branching out again, try picking up something that you might have lost touch with, and see how it feels. I've really enjoyed flexing my creative muscle, I guess you could say, because it has been too long. So yeah, me and my guest talk about creativity and all that good stuff. So I will now transition into that and finish getting ready for work. I hope you guys have a really great week. As always, if you want to be on the show or you have any questions or you just want to say hi, you can email me at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com. I am on Instagram and Twitter, believe it or not. Um, I haven't used Twitter in like six years and I don't really know what I'm doing, but I am on there. My handle is picklesvodka. So yeah, find me on there. Have a great week and I love you guys. Okay, uh, so what's your name? How old are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Maybe let's start with the basics. I'm 97. No. Um, <laughs> do it. What's your secret um, to long-lasting skin? Vitamin E oil and the blood of my enemies. <laughs> oh, naturally. Okay, I'm Sid, 26, and originally I'm from a small town in southeast Alabama, In 2012, when I was 19, I moved to Hong Kong 
and kind of became a nomad after that. I lived there for almost four years and then I've been traveling throughout Asia and um, a few trips to New Zealand as well with my partner who does a lot of traveling for work. What prompted the move to Hong Kong in the first place? Uh, Back then, I was really involved with the church. And so um, after I graduated, I already had some college credit because I was duly enrolled. Um, But I knew I didn't, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I didn't feel the need to like, immediately go to college and do something. You know, I, I kind of wanted to get out of the little town. And, and I kind of wanted to, you know, do my own thing for a little while. So I uh, got connected through my family to um, a church in Hong Kong. And I moved there and ended up working with them for about a year and a half until I dropped out of that and started uh, working on visual content production. And um, I kind of got into the writing and editing world for you know, some different companies and kind of in Hong Kong, the rent is really expensive. So you kind of do a lot of things to like make sure that your rent gets paid and your bills get paid. Yeah. So I did a lot. I I did some teaching English from like two and three year olds, which was not my cup of tea to, you know, the teenagers. And then, you know, I did some visual uh, campaigns for some companies. I did some editing and uh, copywriting for companies. I did some modeling on the side, blah, blah, blah. Just you know, just, you just, you know, I was just kind of doing whatever I could. And that was actually really, really fun. I mean, it was really difficult because doing so many things, it kind of wears you down. Right. When you yeah. dropped out of the church stuff, did you ever consider going back home? Like what made you want to decide to stay there? Yeah, a lot of people ask me that. So I think the reason I was so intent on staying there is because it's a big city and I really loved the uh, melting pot aspect of it. I love all the cultures being in the same place. I loved my friend group from tons of countries all over the world, learning and hearing different languages every day. That's something that has always really interested me. And so I think that I just really gelled with it. And I found a community there that was much stronger than anything I'd ever experienced before. And so I think that was definitely a huge factor in what motivated me to go back. Yeah, because you had never been exposed to that kind of stuff before at all, right? It was all online when I was back home. Any exposure to different cultures. I mean, you know, the town where I'm from is, is a pretty touristy town. So like, it was mostly, you know, people from America who would pass through, but we would have international people pass through as well, because we're known for historic homes. But that exposure was also really limited. Especially Uh, um, since you were homeschooled, too. I think we should definitely mention that. Yeah, that's that's how we met. Uh, We met on this homeschool blogging website, which is no longer online. I think I Googled it a couple of years ago, and I couldn't find it. I'm really sad that all our stuff is gone. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not for you. I think that would have been cute. But for me, I'm so glad that it's gone. (laughs) But yeah, growing up homeschooled was definitely interesting. For sure. Um, My everyday life was in a very small place where people don't necessarily, didn't at the time, have as much of an open mind as I would have liked. And I and I totally, it, it's kind of painful to look back if you kind of hold this bitterness and resentment against, you know, the person that you used to be. It's kind of hard to look back at your life and confront not only who you were, but also the memories of that, that sure. period in your life. And so, you know, a lot of frustration that I had that kind of ties into mental health. You talk a lot about mental health. You know, it was in me to be, open-minded and explore and just not be like narrow-minded nobody around me at the time was like that nobody and I was shown one way of life and that's exactly how it's supposed to be and I was so like my subconscious was so frustrated about it and so I just took out all of this anger and these feelings of just being trapped and stuck I just took that out completely on myself 
But that's probably why I got some really killer writing done back then. <laughs> because of I all mean, those yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you had a great outlet to express that frustration. Yeah. Uh, and I do want to touch on the mental health aspect of it more throughout the episode, but I totally interrupted you telling your life story. So. Oh, no. That's like, please ask more because I don't. <laughs> okay. So you were in Hong Kong doing the church program. You dropped out. You were doing your own thing for like how many years? It was probably a year and a half to two years that I was doing my own thing before I officially moved out of Hong Kong, like as a place to live and started traveling with Gabe. He travels a lot for work, which is why I'm still traveling all over the place, going to Asia and back to the US some and But luckily your job allows you to do that. Yeah, that's kind of why I started writing. And that's kind of why I started trying to amp up my business is because moving around all the time, I can't get a job. I can't be like, oh, hire me, and then I'll be gone in three months. Right. You know, I needed something that could travel with me. I needed something to run remotely. So it's great, but it's also a lot of work. It's really yeah. hard. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to be really, like, self-motivated. Yeah, and, and the internet in general is just saturated with everything. you got to have a really strong niche to reach a narrower group of people because if you keep it pretty broad in general, I feel like, so for example, like I write, if I just like wrote, then everybody can write, you know? Yeah. You know, for anybody starting an online business, I always say like, you need a niche. You need like the narrower, the better. You're not limiting yourself because everything is just so overpopulated. So what's yours? I do fiction ghostwriting and story coaching. People hire me to write their books for them. <laughs> okay. So I'll have an author approach me and say, hey, I have this idea for a book. Can you write it? And so I'll kind of brainstorm with them a little and then I'll tell them to send me a chapter by chapter outline of the whole book in as much detail as possible because then I'm able to write faster and I'm able to make sure that the final outcome is as close to what they were hoping for as close to their original vision as possible. Right. I mean, of course, there's that stigma about ghostwriting. Like, how do you feel about your creativity being compromised and you're not credited for any of your work? But it's actually not so much like that. It's different when you're writing someone else's story than when you're writing your own story. I feel like there's still an emotional connection there, of course. If there's no emotional connection the final book is going to turn out really crappy. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but because it's not mine, I don't feel like every time I send a finished chapter over to them, I don't feel like, oh, my baby is gone. You know, I I don't feel like that. So I mean, it's a job. Yeah, exactly. It's a job. It's, It's an industry. It's just like any other industry. And there's actually a lot of really good reasons why people hire ghostwriters. So like one of my my longest term client, I've been working with him since I started out. Um, He's in Europe. And so he knows English. He's like really great at English. But the characters in his books are teenagers in the US. And so because he's from Europe, he doesn't really know how teenagers in the US speak. But because I'm from the US, and it helps to have teenage siblings, I'm able to, I guess, better express what you know, their dialogue and what they're thinking and, and that type of thing, then he would be able to. You know, it's also kind of a literary thing. So like talking to somebody is a little different than writing a book. You write how people talk, obviously, but there there's definitely like stylistic differences. And so um, I'm able to help my non-native English speaking clients with that aspect of it also. But story coaching is what I really love. It's it's kind of like they have they're looking for a guide along the way. Right. So I'm able to kind of walk with them through um, the process of getting their book planned and written and that type of thing. So. So how did you get into that? Like you've always been a writer as long as I've known you. It kind of just happened. So I started writing in a way that I would recommend to no one. <laughs> so I was living 
um, in China when I decided to start writing because that's always been what I've wanted to do, but I've never done it because everybody said like, oh, that's not a good career or like, what do you do? Just like write stories all day. And obviously a lot more goes into it than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a plumber doesn't just screw a pipe in, you know, like it's a little more behind the scenes. So I signed up for like one of those horrible bidding sites where you only get paid like half a cent per word or one cent per word. So like for a whole novel, you only get 500 bucks. Yeah. And it's like that could totally work for somebody who lives in a country that is very, very cheap to live in. But that that's just not working for me. So I, I did a couple, I actually did several like really cheaply paid projects. Not all of them were writing novels. Some of them were like editing, copywriting and stuff like that. But it all just paid terribly. It was basically me paying the client because of how many hours it was taking. And so I decided to amp up my website and try to get clients through there and start using social media to kind of get the word out. And eventually, um, I found a really good online business coach and started following her. I'm in a few of her courses now kind of about establishing a writing business and that type of thing. And I just realized that I don't need to be part of those really cheap bidding sites anymore. So I quit. And that was really scary because I, I realized that I've been holding on to it as like a just in case backup option. Yeah. But it's like the worst backup option because <laughs> the amount of effort that goes into this stuff like doesn't even pay for anything. So yeah. Yeah. So I always tell people like you're much better off starting out like with a really strong SEO optimized website with a niche. Um, so the bidding, then, the bidding website was that your only income at the time? Yeah. Oh wow! So that was a big leap of faith. Yep. Pretty how much. long? How long until you started getting business from your ghostwriting career after that? One of my clients um, actually followed me from the bidding site. So like, obviously, it's not those prices anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, you were doing something right. You know, if you had a fan. Yeah, I think that they just didn't really know how to find people either. So like once, you know, we we got along really, really well. And so then when I broke away from it, they just followed me. Nice. Yeah. So that's one good thing that came out of it. But I feel like that's really, really rare. So yeah, I probably did those bidding sites for like almost a year. And this was while you were traveling around with Gabe? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I didn't know that it's possible to like optimize your website in a way that people find it. It's not like a if you build it, they will come scenario. Oh, but yeah. It's really tough. I mean, I'm still getting the hang of it. I'm like nowhere near expert. <laughs> but hey, you're doing what you want to do. Yeah. And you know, you're seeing some outcome from it. Yeah. So um, I want to go back to the mental health aspect of your life. I don't know. Uh-oh. I know. I mean, how would you describe your mental health in general? <laughs> nervous laughter. Oh, very nervous laughter. <laughs> I mean, how would you describe your mental health growing up and then compare it to where you're at now? Growing up, it was tumultuous for different reasons. I think it was because I've always been like who I am now. I just wasn't allowed to like question and you know challenge certain opinions of the people around me oh yeah I mean I can relate to that a lot too yeah and so I think that all of that was just really repressing who I was which is I like to think it's who I am now I'm very happy with myself at this point so I mean yeah there was there was a lot of there's a lot of darkness there and it just kind of manifested in the form of self-hatred it's like I, I didn't know that how I was feeling wasn't necessarily a problem with myself. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I didn't understand enough outside of what I'd been taught was the right and the only way. Like right. there was no other option. And so I didn't understand that that frustration was kind of caused by that. So it's it's really interesting because, you know, I had limited exposure to different cultures, different languages, different beliefs, but still that was inside me, even though that stuff wasn't around me. 
So it's really interesting about a lot of how you turn out is a result of how you were raised, but then also if you're naturally more open-minded and curious and, you know, accepting, that's inside you and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? It is kind of interesting to look back and and notice those things about kind of the, the growing up period. Was there anyone you could talk to about that feeling growing up? Mm-mm, no. Not even online? I think if there was anybody to talk to, again, I didn't really understand what the root of my frustration was, the root of that pain. You know, like I said, it, it just kind of manifested in, you know, self-hatred. And so the conversation, if it got that deep with anybody, it would always be about that problem, which wasn't actually the problem. So when you left home to go to China for the first time, were you trying to find a way out of that feeling or were you just desperate to get away from home? I've wondered about that. Like I wanted to get out because I had traveled, you know, within the U.S. a lot before then. And so I liked to travel and I liked to see new things. But I wonder if there was some subconscious, you know, motive to get out and be in a place where, you know, I can be who I need to be. And obviously that I moved to Hong Kong, I was working for the church and it was still like very, very stifling for me. I was going to ask about that. Because it was, it was very much, there were more cultures and more languages and, you know, different types of people and that type thing. But it was still around that central belief system, which at that particular place, you know, was still very, very similar to where I'd been raised. And so eventually when I kind of got the courage to say like, hey, I can't do this anymore. At least I was studying at the time because again, I I was kind of, I knew I wasn't happy. I knew that I wasn't becoming or being encouraged to become who I really wanted to be. Yeah. But I didn't know enough about that part to say I can't be part of this anymore because I feel like I'm in prison. (laughs) What else was out there? Yeah. And so I was studying at the time. And so I just blamed it on that because, you know, it was like opposite ends of the city. It took like two to three hours to commute like a couple. Yeah. A couple times a week. And so I was just like, oh, I can't do it because, you know, it takes too long to commute. And there's just too many responsibilities that I have with this. And I'll still like come when I can you know, at least I had like something else that was a legitimate concrete reason. But but... inside you had more reasons you couldn't really talk about. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I could explore those reasons until I was out of that situation. It's kind of like you can't heal in a place that made you sick. Yeah. No, I had a really similar experience. Uh, I I also left home to go to a Christian school 500 miles away. It was also (laughs) very much the same type of environment. And I I continued to struggle for a long time. And it's a scary thing when that's what you've been raised with. And all the people you love are deep in that circle. There is a strong sense of community that's positive in a lot of ways. Yeah, especially if that's that's all you've ever known. That's like kind of the only option that you've ever had. And, you know, all of these people, while you're in, in that group, they care for you and they are there for you. And once you're out, I mean, it's taken me like, it's been seven years since I moved overseas. I can't really speak for other people's experiences with different groups. Right. But for me... I'm still getting adjusted to the fact that a lot of people only loved me because I, at the time, believed the same thing. And I've had so many breakdowns about it. I'm glad that I'm a lot stronger now, but it never stops hurting. When did you start opening up about this, like being more comfortable talking about it? After I left that circle, it was kind of like, obviously, I still had my friend group who was in that circle and obviously they still cared for me, but a lot of the care that I had been receiving stopped like instantly. And so it was a really, really harsh cliff. It was like a, it was just a drop off. Suddenly I felt really alone and confused because, you know, all these people were like the last people that I thought would ever, you know, be that way. And so I wondered like, is this a message? Like, have I made the wrong decision? 
But every time I really thought about it realistically, it was like, no, I didn't make the wrong decision. And I knew that there was more, you know, the more that I dug into myself, I knew that there was like an underlying reason for why I did that. There was such a disconnect between who I felt that I had to be with these people and then who I knew I was. And, you know, the more that I thought about it, it's like, it's not worth it to be stuck with these people who don't accept me for who I am. Yeah. I'll be miserable forever. Should I keep going in the way that's safe? You know, and I know that people are going to care for me, but they just think it's me. Or should I lose those people who only love me because we're in the same circle and because we believe the same thing? I had a few people who I was really close to were also kind of misfits and we've kind of grown together and they're still my best friends. They were creative and artistic and, you know, kind of weirdos. (laughs) So, you know, we kind of we kind of walked out together. The journeys of kind of leaving that and finding something else and where we ended up were different, but the it was like we were holding each other's hand. It's like, okay, we don't really fit in anywhere. We're just like doing what we do. And it was tough cuz it's like we're not trying to hurt anybody. No. We're just trying to live life and, you know, all these people just like attack you. If you're in the circle and then you leave the circle, you just get ravaged yeah. in a way. It's not always like aggressive. It's very passive. That's the worst. It's so much worse. I would rather someone be like aggressive. Yeah. I mean, not physically, but you know what I mean? I would rather someone like scream in my face and call me a piece of shit than <laughs> like do that passive manipulative I had this girl message me on Facebook like three months after I left that school and she was she told me like three paragraphs worth of words how she was worried about me and how because I got tattoos and stuff and like (gasps) she was like you're changing I think it was a bad decision to leave school and it's negatively impacted your life I'm worried about you all this stuff and I was just like I didn't ask you. (laughs) Yeah, these unsolicited opinions. Yeah, I didn't ask you. You didn't even ask how I'm doing. You just project all these expectations. I don't know. And I mean, you can kind of at least laugh about it now. Oh, yeah. it's it's But back then, a little message like that would destroy you. Yeah. It just, it makes you doubt everything. So when you were going through this whole process, what did your parents think? Were oh, they God. were they in contact with you much? <laughs> like, um, here you are on the other side of the world having this transformative process. Yeah, it was not easy. That was the hardest, and it's still hard. And it's really affected pretty much every area of my life, having that. I hesitate to use the term disconnect, but it is. I, I, still, I still don't want to say that it's like that it's caused a disconnect with them but absolutely it has i think especially because and i mean you and me are the oldest child yeah so how many siblings do you have two so not as many as you but you know they're significantly younger like my brother's eight years younger my sister is like nine and a half years younger with the oldest child syndrome it's almost like as the oldest you're kind of a picture of the quality of your family life Yeah. If you do something that's outside the norm, it seems like the people, especially within circles like that, start thinking that your family is messed up or your parents did something wrong or, you know, that your family's collapsing or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. And then it seems like all of the responsibility to take care of the parents and the siblings kind of falls on the oldest. which obviously is kind of this really old traditional pressure, but it's not true. (laughs) It's like, I'm an individual person. So yeah, it has has really affected, I, I don't know enough to say if it's affected others' opinions of my family, but I'm sure it has, especially in a small town in Alabama. What about your siblings? Have you talked to them about how you've changed or do you think it's affected them in any way, good or bad? I mean, they're the middle and the youngest. And because they're significantly younger, I feel like they never did and never will face the kind of pressure that I did. So I'm I'm really happy. At the time, especially when I stopped being involved with the church, 
they were young enough that they were really, really influenced by that belief in that culture as well. And so it was hard for them. You know, they wanted me to go back to church, but it's it's not really like that anymore. Like they're very much their own people. And I'm really proud that they have not like become exactly what everybody else has. So, I mean, they're still involved with church that it's kind of like in my town and in the South as like as a whole. I feel like church is definitely more than just a belief thing. It's also like a culture thing. It's like totally. a social, it's a social thing. So going to youth group on a Friday night or hanging out with your youth buddies on Sunday night or Wednesday night or something, it's not only about, hey, we're getting together because we all believe the same thing. It's very much like a social gathering. And that's just kind of what you do. There are great things about it. I mean, we're still in contact. <laughs> I know, dude. I can't believe and that. And that, so that was like that online circle. Yeah, I mean, heck, how old were we when we joined that website? Uh, I want to say like 13. Yeah, I think we were 13. That's been yeah. that's been like 13 years. So insane. Yeah, but I feel like you and I kind of gelled because we sensed that we're both kind of different types of people, and even exactly what you were talking about is you kind of knew who you were deep inside but you couldn't really express it like I never felt like I fit in either with a lot of the homeschool or the Christian people but yeah you know I didn't know how to express that because what's the alternative is to become an outcast and be shunned yeah. by your society and have, yeah and have no friends and just like sit at home and then when you when you go to church or that social gathering then like Nobody wants to talk to you. Yeah. You know, and when you're that young, that's a big deal because it's all about friends. Well, I mean, you know? the friendship factor aside, there's the moral factor too. Like I legitimately believed that that would make me a bad person or, I yeah. would, you know, be punished if I challenged those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. It's like they would always say, oh, it's okay to question because that means that like it's making an impact on you. But then when you start to question, then you're very, very mildly outcasted until you stop questioning. You know, you're it's this subtle like, oh, yeah, you can question, but don't do it, you know? Yeah. So, so. as a creative person, like, did you ever explore any of these themes in your art? I feel like a lot of my work, especially especially like my shorter writings, kind of explore themes of emotions and all variation of emotions, especially the dark feelings. I'm very, I feel like inspired isn't the right word, but I think about these dark feelings that we have a lot and it's a way, you know, writing shorter pieces. So like, you know, small pieces that are like one, one or two paragraphs or even, you know, poetry or something like that is kind of like a short condensed way for me to like really figure out how I'm feeling. I write in a lot of like symbolic ways that I hope it means something different to everybody who reads it because I know a lot of people experience you know, separation from things that they love or things that they once loved. Or a lot of people are kind of grappling with these dark feelings inside them and they don't feel like anybody else feels the same way. So I guess I'm very driven to write about, I guess, this whole story of breaking away from everything that I had and losing almost everybody that I had. Would you say you're pretty vocal about your emotions in real life like aside from your writing the writing for sure is an outlet because in reality like if I'm talking to somebody face to face I need to feel comfortable with them because I can't talk to you in poetry right Right. (laughs) you know I, I talk to you in a conversational way so it's a lot more clear and blunt and straightforward so you know like poetry or short short writings or I mean even even like novel length works have a lot of like that symbolism of breaking away an emotion and that type thing which I don't mean to put in that's just what comes out you know I use it as purely like a self-expression tool I guess 
But then when I'm talking to you, it's like, I feel sad because I've lost almost everybody that I ever thought cared about me because I broke away from a belief system, you know? And so that's very blunt. I'm not just going to like go up to somebody that I don't trust and say that. So I'm saying it on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. You know, again, that kind of goes back to like, I feel comfortable with you because I know that our stories are similar and people don't talk about this. They don't talk about the real feelings of how it is kind of coming out of that. It's painful. Like, it's going to hurt forever. It's like literally giving up a whole life. It is. But I'm so happy that I am who I am. And that will always mean more to me than pretending to be something else. So how do you find the courage to do that? Like, let's say you're still stuck in a belief system like that, or you're pretending to be someone you're not. I think that's a tough question to answer because it looks different for everybody. So like, I mean, it's still a journey. You know, it's almost like a fake it till you make it thing. Yeah. It's like whenever I talk to somebody, you know, from back home or my family, then I feel that there's one of two reactions that either kind of start pretending again or you know I hold them at arm's length and they think that I'm this like heartless bitch so (laughs) well I mean it's about self-preservation too yeah absolutely because that kind of stuff is really vulnerable you know once you've been through all of this turmoil of breaking away and losing people and having people turn their back on you and feeling alone and all that stuff you don't feel comfortable getting vulnerable with these people anymore There's just a lot of complex emotions that come into play here. And so I think some people are able to regulate those emotions really well. And then some people suffer in silence and use writing as an outlet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing you're one of the latter types of people. Yeah, because there's, there's only a handful of people that I feel really comfortable talking to in a very, like, blatant way. There are, I mean, even after, I think it was 2015, like maybe late 2014, early 2015, when I like officially stopped going and I'm still kind of figuring out those emotions. Have you ever talked to a professional about it? I haven't. Is that something you would ever think about doing or? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think I feel I have felt stopped because I'm traveling all the time. You know, online, there's more people who are doing like online therapy and that type thing, but it just doesn't feel, because even though it's hard for me to talk to somebody face to face, you know, if I were to see a professional, I would want to be face to face with them because I would want someone to read my body language and tell me when I'm saying what isn't actually the real problem. You know, when I'm just saying something to make it sound good like oh yeah I'm doing great because blah 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 like unfortunately I'm really good at that like finding an underlying reason for something that's actually not the underlying reason because it just sounds good it sounds like I'm self-aware but you know (laughs) I I, like don't really want to dig down deep to get to the roots of these feelings and these thoughts that I'm having so painful and a lot of work yeah it, it is but I mean it's something that I kind of do alone, I guess. And then that's what comes out in my writing. Do you journal at all? I do. So there's this, I have a notebook here that I call my everything notebook. Anybody who follows me knows that I keep my everything notebook. It's kind of a mixture of my journal combined with like notes about clients projects combined with poetry combined with random leaves that I find that are pretty that I stick in the pages. You know, it's just like literally got everything. It's total chaos in there. But then there's also this really cool site that I've been using for the last month called 750 Words. Is it spelled Um, out in numbers or letters? 750 Words. And that has really helped me. It's like completely private and confidential. And so every day you log on and you write 750 words. And so the, the theory behind that is it just gets your brain going and all the stuff that you're holding inside you can just like come out. And so I do some of that in my everything notebook, but then having this really simple website where I can just like type, I know that it's safe and that there's 
not going to be like any pressure for me to say a certain thing. And, you know, it's been really useful for me to kind of dig through those feelings during a time where I don't have really the locational or the financial means to see a professional about anything. But it is something I've really been thinking about recently because I've never, I've never seen a professional in like a therapy or counseling setting. And it is a big step. I I think it's really easy for people to be like, oh, go see a therapist and all your problems will be solved. But it is a trial and error process. I've seen a few good therapists and I've also seen a few bad ones. And yeah, it's just kind of a gamble. Is it kind of like you have to find one that you get along well with or that you feel that y'all kind of gel in a a good way the first thing I have to consider is finances unfortunately like I have to make sure they're in my network before I get too attached to them Mm. because I did find a really good one um when I was living in Virginia but she was out of my network and I had to stop seeing her because she was too expensive and that sucked (laughs) that sucks it sucks ass Uh, (laughs) but that's just the reality for a lot of people yeah and I think it's important to explore other options too yeah What are some other options? I've talked about this a lot in previous episodes, but online communities have been so invaluable to me. Reddit and other places. I mean, I'm kind of like a a social outcast. (laughs) I don't talk to a lot of people in my everyday life outside of work. Uh, And so especially (laughs) to a brand new city, it's... yeah. I I don't know what people would do without the internet, to be honest. Um, I think it's provided us with access to a lot of really, really specific communities that we wouldn't have access to otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, I actually, talking about online communities, I started a couple months ago an online community for creative people. Want to talk about that. So I have always been prone to, like, creative block or, like, writer's block, I call it creative block because not everybody is just a writer, just an artist. There's people who do all kinds of things. So I just, you know, and there's tons of forms of creativity, like technically cooking is a form of creativity, you know, like anything is creative. And so one of my theories behind why we get, you know, that block is because there's a disconnect between our bodies and our minds. So like sometimes we inhabit our minds too much and then we get angsty, you know, like, cabin fever kind of oh yeah I experienced that a lot and so I thought like I travel all the time I haven't ever been able to find like a writer's circle or an artist circle in my city and meet every Monday at a coffee shop you know yeah and the fantasy but that's the yeah that's the fantasy but the reality is a lot of people want that and that's not an option for them. And so especially because a lot of creative people tend to be introverts and a lot of people um, have social anxiety, like I even have social anxiety. Yeah, it's not the people you would always expect. Definitely. And so I started a online creative community, making it accessible to everybody. It's $1 a month. I just call it the Wudamus family because Wudamus is my brand. Can you spell that out for the listeners? Yeah, V-I-D-E-M-U-S. It's kind of two parts. It's on Patreon, which is, if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a website where you support creators who do podcasts or create gaming tutorials or do paintings or stuff like that. And so you can pledge like X amount per month and get different rewards. But for me... I originally started out with people who get different rewards at like $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. And that absolutely did not feel right to me because I've been pretty well off financially in the past. And then I've also had like negative grants in my bank account. So like I wouldn't want someone who really needs a community to not be able to access everything just because they're going through a rough financial patch. Right. You know, because creativity doesn't and shouldn't come easier for people who have stable high incomes. You know what I mean? Same way. So I started this and I'm like $1 a month. And then I link it to a discord server where we can have live chats, live coaching, story coaching sessions for the writers in there. 
I would like to start a podcast. So once the community grows a little more, then I want to start doing a podcast about creativity, yes. which you can be on. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So it's just, it's just like a community of people. I mean, we have designers, writers, poets, photographers. We've got a horse trainer in there. What? You know, like, yeah, like it's really for anybody. And so it's pretty small. Like as of right now, we have 13 or 14 people in there. But it's so helpful for me to know that I have a safe space online that's not accessible to the public where passionate, creative people are in there to say like, hey, I have a bad case of writer's block. I need some encouragement and kind of cheering everybody on and then brainstorming and sharing resources. It's really helped me a lot, even just in the few months that I've had it launched. It was kind of a, a sense of stability when nothing in my life was feeling very stable because we were traveling all the time and you know we were recently in China for like six months. And so I was traveling to Hong Kong to see my close friends. I made like five trips, so I was on the go every you know once a month. I think this community was, it's really been a source of stability for me. And so I really want to grow it and I really want people to, because especially as a creative person, community is really important. Totally. It can be really isolating being a creative person, especially if you do that for a job. (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit about the isolation aspect of it? I think it's different than like if you work at a cafe or something, because if you work at a cafe, you have that exposure to people, even if it's not like an in-depth conversation, that type thing. You know, like you can see what you're doing. You can see that you're making the coffee, that you're scooping the ice, that you're like freaking warming up a panini. You know what I mean? But creative work is not tangible. Like if you watched a writer do their thing, you'd be sitting beside them watching words come out onto a page. Like all the person is doing is typing. But like what you're seeing come out on the page comes from this place inside them that you can't see. It's not tangible at all. I mean, you know, you can watch a painter paint, but like you can't get inside their head, you know. And so I think because creative work typically takes a lot of focus, especially if you're like a writer or a fine artist or something like that. Well, yeah, the end result is only like 10% of the process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's all people see. Yeah. So people say like, oh, what do you do? Just write stories all day. And it's like, no, (laughs) (laughs) one book, like one novel is like, at minimum, like four months of brain intensive work, you have to get to know the characters and the plot as well as you know, your best friends and your own life. Like you have to be inside multiple people's heads at the same time in playing it like a movie in your head, envisioning how do they react to an uncomfortable situation? How do they react to somebody, you know, telling them that they're a piece of, you know, you know what? And, (laughs) (laughs) just like you would react differently to a cute puppy on the street than I would react. It's the same. Like you have to make them different. You have to make them unique people. And so you read a novel and it might literally take you one day. Yeah. But it's like, that's six months of work in one day. So that type of work can really be isolating. And especially when, you know, creative people do that for a day job, then it's like, okay, Do you find that when you're deep in your work and isolating like that, your mental health suffers? It is really hard if I've been writing like really intensively for even just an hour. It's really hard for me to transition back into like this physical space, like this real world, you know? If I was really into it, I wouldn't know what's around me. Like I would be so in it, I would be seeing everything happened, you know, almost like it was real. And so then if somebody were to come in and be like, hey, time for dinner, or, you know, hey, we got to go. Or if somebody was to randomly knock on the door unexpectedly, I can be a little snappy sometimes, or I just can't talk. Like, I just physically like can't respond like a normal human being, (laughs) because I'm still like in that mindset. So that's that's really tough, and especially if, if um, like in the past, I've worked for clients who did not respect me at all, and so I would wake up in the morning, and I would literally be scared to check my email, 
And I would dream about the book at night because I, oh, I have to write more tomorrow. So like I would dream about what I was supposed to write the next day, you know, especially working for clients anyway, can be just like your coffee person, you know, like some people are really, really, really particular about their coffee. And then some people like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I work (laughs) It was it was a really small local cafe, but I worked at a cafe in my town for about uh, two years. So but also, you know, even when you're working in a cafe, at least like sometimes that's my only human interaction for the day. It's good. At least I got outside. But when you're writing, like on one hand, the things you describe seem like they could be unhealthy. But also, you know, you're when you're deep inside a project, you're writing that creative high. I can see how it would also be good. Yeah. So, I mean it's healthy for the creativity and especially because, you know, I do have an outline in front of me. So it's not like a hundred percent organic thought, you know, right. It's like there is structure involved, um, you know, but enough so the creativity can flow. But then again, you know, and also I just moved to this city, so I don't know anybody here yet. So I don't really have any social interaction at the end of the day necessarily other than Gabe. So, you know, we just moved here just over a month ago. No pressure. I'm trying to be gentle with myself and my expectations and try to just remind myself it's okay not to isolate, but it's okay to take some time and space for myself while I put down roots because that's a hard process in and of itself. And sometimes that's necessary when you're in an unfamiliar place is, you know, it might kind of suck initially to have all of that alone time but then it might also be kind of needed because you have that space to kind of recompute and process the new sights and the new smells and the new accents. And yeah. at the end of the day, you can have that, especially as an introvert. If you're an extrovert, I think it'd be hell. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, then if you're an extrovert, I feel like you're, it's easier for you to go out. and. Yeah. If you're an extrovert, you'd probably have like a group of 20 friends right now. <laughs> I mean, but in the meantime, you have your online community. Can you say one more time how to find it? So it's on Patreon, and you can just search for my name, Sid Walks. My last name is spelled W-A-C-H-S, and uh, I'm pretty much the only Sid Walks out there, so my name will will show up. Well, I but my, you know, yeah. you, you're also on Instagram. Yeah, my handle is, is my brand name. It's V-I-D-E-M-U-S-A-R-T, Vidamus Art. It's a Latin word. I've, I've just always used it forever. For years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it started like even back in the time when we were first getting to know each other. Yeah, it's been a really long time. I thought about changing it, but it's like, it's just a word that I feel has become part of me. It, it's a Latin word. It means we see. And I think that's a really beautiful image in my head because it's like we is, you know, a community and community is something that's really important to me. So the idea of everybody looking at something beautiful together is really lovely and really comforting for me. Yeah, or even like the not so beautiful parts too. Yeah, but even those are kind of beautiful in a way. Well, that's true. You mentioned, you know, focusing a lot on the darker things in life and finding beauty in them. And I I feel the same way too. I've always been drawn to stuff like that. I think that's why we've always meshed. (laughs) We've talked about a lot of really intense, uncomfortable things today, which I think is really important because the stuff that we've talked about, a lot of people don't talk about. And it's really, really difficult to get through, especially if you don't necessarily have like a strong group of people. Like if you are leaving a belief system or a community that kind of had you, that kind of held you inside and made you feel like you were being cared for, that type thing. Um, If you don't have people outside of that, then it can be really lonesome trying to find your way out of that. And there is no formula for getting through something like that because it's different for everybody. But I guess if anybody listening does find themselves like in a situation similar to what we've been through, at least I'm here. Nobody should ever feel alone, especially if they're coming out of that, that feeling of, again, that word isolation. Yeah. It's just, 
awful. It's debilitating. And, and it seems impossible it is, to get out of. Yeah, it is truly debilitating. And nobody should ever have to go through those emotions or feel those things and go through all of that alone. If someone is really like on the way to becoming themselves, despite a culture and a group that never encouraged them to do that, that's incredible. And it's really, really brave. Can I also say that like we're both 26 and we both left those belief systems a while ago, but neither of us are anywhere near perfect. And like we yeah. are we are embracing <laughs> who we are, but also life is still hard. We still struggle. I, I mean, at least I can say for myself, but also I know if I was still pretending to be someone I wasn't, I would be 10 times more miserable. Like I don't regret anything. Yeah. And I mean, it was so the word debilitating is such a powerful word for this because like I did feel like I was not going to make it out alive because I was so unhappy with, you know, who I was. And I'm not sure like if I hadn't taken that first step for me personally, I don't even know if I would be here right now. I had two people who really loved me through all of that. And that made the whole thing just so much more worth it because I know I'll probably listen to this in like one year and be like, oh my gosh, I was so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But like at this point, as of right now, I am very comfortable with who I am. I feel like I am who I've been trying to find inside myself. And it just takes that first step and one person to walk through it with you. You know, everybody should have somebody to walk through these feelings with. So totally. And uh, if you feel like you don't have anyone like that in real life, there's always online communities. A hundred percent. Because there's so many times that I felt that I was just bonkers for feeling a certain way, or I thought I was the only one experiencing whatever this emotion was, you know, and nobody is ever really alone. Online communities are so powerful, especially if there's nobody in real life that you feel like you can talk to. Because again, like, Writing is different than speaking, you know, like speaking to someone does take a lot of guts, especially if you are more of, of like a writer type person, you just feel like you're able to process your emotions so much easier through like typing or like writing a message to someone. But speaking is, is really tough. And so, you know, I think it's perfectly normal for someone to feel like they're not at a point where they can like physically you know, meet with someone and talk to them about these, you know, maybe try some self expression through art or writing or what have you. Yeah, for sure. There's tons of outlets and everybody's, you know, outlet creativity is just so powerful for processing these feelings and connecting with other people who feel things really vividly as well. So, you know, I found a great group of people through Instagram. Like, what the heck is the world? Like, I found some people that I really love who are the same creative weirdos as me, you know, through like freaking Instagram, dude. Anything's possible. Anything is possible. In this glorious age. (laughs) This glorious technological age. Oh, boy. (laughs) Ooh, doggy. Yep. Hey, thank you for inviting me on here. It's It's been really cool to see your face and hear your voice after so long. And I am really, really glad that we've, we haven't really like kept in touch in like a messaging back and forth way. We've just kind of always been on each other's social media. So, but I feel like sometimes that's enough, you know. Like I get, yeah. I don't know. It it makes me happy to see you becoming who you're meant to be, and you know, following your creative journey. And I'm really proud of you. Well, you too. I've I've always really enjoyed seeing your updates and like, where the heck are you, and what are you doing, <laughs> and yeah. You still ride a motorcycle? Um, I sold it when I moved to Seattle, but I'm going to get another one soon. That's the goal. So. You should, because you look great on them. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's the only reason I do it. <laughs> For the gram. Right? For the gram. <laughs> well, thanks so much. It's been really fun. Of course. Anytime. Let me know when you start that podcast of yours. Absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. I want to do it when I get to um, 50 people in the in our community. So. All right, well, guys, you heard her. Go join us today. <laughs>
Yeah, join us, creative people. And the horse trainer. <laughs> yes, that is definitely yeah. the, the most creative of them all, probably. All right. <laughs> Goodbye. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.